The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Thanks for coming out tonight. Uh, my name is Mike uh, McAvoy. I'm on staff here. And I would like to welcome you guys. Uh, if you've never uh, come out here before, one of the big things that we do um, during the summer is a deputation program where we send 35 students this summer all over the country. Um, yeah, deputation. Um, and this Sunday is actually Deputation Sunday here at UPC, and we're actually commissioning uh, all 35 deputies for their trips this summer. And we have a congregation here at UPC uh, that just absolutely loves college students, loves coming alongside college students and supporting our students and what we do. So I encourage you, uh, come on out this Sunday if, you, if, you're, um, if you've never been out to UPC. There's five services. Um, if you love to sleep in, we have a 5 and a 7 o'clock in the evening um, and come in, uh, and join in um, commissioning our students uh, off on deputation this summer. Uh, moving into tonight, it's my pleasure to welcome up our speakers for the night, uh, continuing their series on relationships. I want to flash that message up on the screen again. Um, we're going to do a little Q&A time, and feel free to get out your phone and do a little texting up here with, with questions you may have or even as it goes along and you have questions, uh, feel free to, to send them in. And that's all the texting you get to do, not to anybody else. Um, <clears throat> anyways, uh, speaking of Mike and Sherry, um, it's been my pleasure to, to work with Mike and Sherry. Uh, Mike was the director here, for those that don't know, for 14 years at UMIN, um, ending two years ago. And Sherry was the associate director here. Uh, and I had the privilege of interning here under them. Uh, and then Mike was also my boss the last two years in College Young Life, uh, where he is now uh, the director of College Young Life um, nationwide. And so would you please give a warm welcome uh, as they finish their series tonight uh, to Mike and Sherry Gaffney. Mike forgot to mention I was also in his core group leader and to whoop that boy into shape. Hey, can I just say, we have a rock and worship band here, don't we? You guys did a fabulous job. And barbershop quartets. Yeah. That was incredible. They're looking sharp. It kind of reminds me of Il Devo, seeing them up here. Yeah. El Devo. Do they know them? Do I know them? Hey, uh, glad to be back. Before we get going into things, a couple things that we want to do. Uh, First of all... You know, uh, Mike had just mentioned that we, we had been directors involved here with the Inn for a long time. And when we left a couple years ago, one of the, the big things you get nervous... Wait. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be all serious and then you uh, throw that up there. But I, yeah, I guess that's serious what too. So they threw a question up there. So I'll tell you about it later. Um, anyway, we, um, when we left here uh, a couple years ago, one of the, obviously, the concern is when you pour 13, 14 years of your life into uh, students and a thing called the Inn, and we're here every Tuesday night. I mean, every Tuesday night for, for a long time we were here. And um, you worry about who's going to get the job. But uh, about 10 months ago, 11 months ago, back in uh, August last year, when this committee did a, a year-long search and they chose Ryan Church to be the director of University Ministries, our hearts are thrilled and, and excited because we've watched him grow and mature as a uh, young man and into the man of God that he is today. And, and, uh, and so we're really grateful that Ryan's in this role and appreciate uh, the leadership that he brings and the wisdom he has, but also uh, the incredible wit that he has. And uh, and I know of nobody in this entire country, and I literally work around the country with college ministries, both in churches and through Young Life. I know nobody that's more passionate about college students than Ryan Church, period. And I know a lot of people. And so one thing I know for sure, and you can trust as well, is that Ryan has your best interest in mind. You can trust this guy. He is passionate about what God's doing in your life. So keep that in mind. The second thing is that something you should know that a lot of you may not know is that the inn has been around for decades, literally decades. Um, it's, this church started as a college ministry 100 years ago. 
And, uh, but the inn started back in the early 70s, uh, as we know of it today. Uh, the inn, it didn't look like this. It actually met in an inn. That's why it's called the inn. So just give you a little perspective. It met in an inn, which is the building right next to us here was, was an inn, and that's where they met. And, uh, but it started back in the early 70s uh, as this great thing called the inn. And what's happened over uh, time, and partly what I do now with this organization called Young Life, is Young Life, which has been historically a youth organization, uh, branched out about four years ago and decided to become also a college organization. And so they uh, invited me and uh, to to partner with them and to work with them, partly because this ministry here is actually a model that we use all across the country. And a lot of people come and take a look at it from churches to parachurch organizations because of its longevity. So you're part of something that's pretty cool and, and something that actually is used to help a, a lot of others. And we've actually started now over 30 uh, college ministries in the Mission of Young Life in these four years uh, all around the country. And, uh, and we believe that we're just on the tip of the iceberg of what can happen. And it looks a lot like what goes on here. And it's really fun to take uh, Young Life. I'm sure a lot of you are involved in Young Life. Some of you probably were young, young lifers out here. So... Combine what Young Life does with what we know uh, and value here at the inn and combine it together for something pretty great. So just to let you know a little bit about that. So. It's actually kind of funny because uh, as we talk with people about uh, what can be and the hope that you bring and just your presence here as an inspiration, they think, man, if that can happen on a secular campus like University of Washington in a liberal city like Seattle, then it can happen anywhere. That's right. So. That's right. So, hey, we are not going to jump right into your questions because we know that there's some questions you will not ask and we won't get a share of things. So we're going to start by with some of the things that we want to say first and then get into your questions. Is that fair? But we're not going to recap the last two weeks. If you have not been here, you need to go back and uh, listen online to the previous two things that we talked about and the things that we talked about, the Song of Songs. But I want to start, uh, we want to start tonight um, by something that... um, my daughter said to me one time, and just to give you a little perspective, we're in the kitchen one day, and she asked me a question, and I answered the question. It took about five minutes. And then um, she asked me another question. my daughter, Olivia, and, and I, I took about five minutes to answer the second question. And then she asked me a third question, and after she asked me a third question, she said, Dad, a yes or no will do. So just realize that sometimes we may speak a little too long about some subjects, and so, so we have people, hopefully, that are going to cut us off and not let us keep rambling on about things. But we want to start tonight by pointing out three things about relationships that we think are of utmost importance. You need, to, you need to hear, and then we'll jump into the questions, okay? And the first thing is this, and it's based on a famous passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. Probably one of the most famous passages of Scripture in all of the New Testament, and certainly maybe in all of the Bible. And it's famous in part because you usually find it on some card having to do with romantic love, or you hear it at a wedding. I don't know how many weddings. I've done well into the hundred and some weddings. And 1 Corinthians 13 is a regular pick for a wedding passage. But here's the deal. That passage was not written for marriage ceremonies. It has, matter of fact, it has really, it is, it certainly encompasses romantic relationship, but it is not written specifically for, it's for the church. A church of people that are struggling with all kinds of things in their life. They're trying to figure out how to be there. Here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 13. It's, and, and by the way, a pastor that married uh, Sherry and I said, I will not marry you until Mike memorizes this chapter. Okay, but then Sherry's going to make the point of what this all has to do with in just a second. But 1 Corinthians 13 says this, and now I'll show you the most excellent way. Apostle Paul writes, If I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Since I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mystery and all knowledge, if I have faith that can even move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. He says, if I surrender my body to the flames and give all I possess to the poor, but I have not love, I am nothing. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. My friends, love never fails. Beautiful passage of Scripture. Read at a lot of weddings, but it's not written towards romance. It's written about our first principle that we want to lay down, and it's very important to hear this. And this is a principle we live. It's kind of our motto in life, and is this. What matters most 
matters most in all relationships. What matters most, matters most in all relationships. Over the years, we've had so many people come up to us who are college students and say, show me where it talks about dating in the Bible, because we want to do a Bible study on dating. So if you just find us all the dating passages, then we can do a Bible study. We learn how to really be a good boyfriend or girlfriend. And we're like, you know what? There, there really aren't any of those in here. But you know what, what scripture is all about is it's all about our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And there's a multitude of principles that come out of Scripture. This is just one example that Mike read. And um, I think that somehow we're, we're sort of disillusioned. We live under the illusion that if we just meet that right person, somehow, amazingly, we'll turn into a better person, too. And that we will be the kinds of things that Mike just read about, that we'll be patient that we'll be kind, that we'll no longer be self-seeking, that we won't be boastful or jealous or envious or all of those things if we just have that right person enter into our life. And it may be true for a moment because for a while we can all behave and put on our best um, face, Um, but eventually our true colors really show. And so I think... When you think about, am I going to be a good girlfriend or boyfriend or fiancé or husband or wife someday, you need to think about this. Think about the person you live with and what they would say about you. Because that's really your best indicator right there. Who do you live with and what would they say say about you? (laughs) You know, I I had probably the... In college, I probably had the world's best roommate. When I would come home from school, often my clothes would be folded on my bed, and I'd say, Annette, you didn't have to do that. And she's like, hey, I was putting my own stuff anyway. Why? I just threw your stuff in with mine. It wasn't a big deal. Or once a week, she'd make this fabulous dinner for everyone in our whole entire house. She was amazing, and I never had any concern that she wasn't going to be a fabulous wife for someone one day because she was an amazing roommate. And I think that they really have the best take on who we really are. If you're interested in someone right now, if you're dating someone right now and you want to know what they're going to be treating you down the line when the word on fuzzies wear off, look at how they treat their roommate. Look at how they treat their friends. Mike has a great piece. Lady, I got one piece of advice for you. Ladies, listen. You you guys probably already know it. If you have a dad in your life, you probably already know it, but I know a lot of you probably don't have a dad in your life saying this to you. But there's one thing to look for in a guy. You know what it is? Look at how he treats his mom. Next subject. Okay? We have three things we want to share with you. And by the way, if he doesn't have a mom, and that's sometimes true, then there's other factors to look at, and just in general, how he treats uh, the older women in his life. So the second thing that we want to share with you before we get into the question and answer is what we call the cycle of relationship. We realize and believe that all relationships go through a cycle. Okay? This will be true of your relationship with your roommates. This will be true of your relationship in a core group. This will be true in a relationship with your parents. This will be true in your relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend. It will be true in relationship to school. I think it's true of school. Um, and, I, and it's definitely even true of our relationship with God. Our relationship with God. Matter of fact, when I usually teach on this, when we first, when we first kind of started talking about this, it was all about romance. But now I predominantly use this in talking about God when I start talking about doubt and disappointment and how that plays a part in our relationship with God. That's not for tonight. Here's what we got. Cycle relationship, okay? There's the meeting, okay? When you meet people, it's like, woo! You know, this is like, you know, or like, uh, and then you just, it's over, okay? So, but there's the meeting, so it's like, woo, you know? And then you get into this thing called infatuation. Everybody thinks infatuation is bad. Infatuation is not bad. It's just a part of the cycle of relationship. If that's all you live in, though, okay, then maybe it's not the best thing. But infatuation is a good thing. It's chemistry. It's this wow factor that you have with a person. All of a sudden, everything's wonderful and rosy. We talk about everything, and I even like his mother. And I mean, it's just wonderful. (laughs) That's when I know they're messed up. But anyway, but it's like, I, you know... Everything is wonderful, and there's this, this, everything's great, and we just can talk about everything, and we never fight, and all these kind of things, okay? Then we hit the honeymoon. Now, honeymoon is when people, most people always think, well, that's the wonderful stage. No. No, no. 
honeymoon. Now, I'm not talking literal honeymoon, okay? This is the psychological. But the honeymoon is actually when you start realizing that, guys, she poops too. <laughs> but, it, but it's cute and it smells like It's still kind of cute. <laughs> but, you, you know, you, okay, you start... I know, that's... But that's... That's where you're at. Right? You start realizing that. You're like... So, yeah. So you just kind of have this, like, okay, infatuated, but uh, not so sure. Things are starting to change. Then you hit doubt and disappointment. You hit this place where really serious stuff hits. When Sherry and I were telling our story two weeks ago, we at the end of our freshman year in college hit this point, or sophomore year in college, we hit this point where we were facing great doubt and disappointment in our relationship. You t- we told our story that what we needed to deal with was, was the fact that we were sleeping together. And we needed to deal with that and deal with God with that and all kinds of stuff. But that we hit a point. Relationships hit a point. All relationships hit a point of doubt and disappointment. All of them do. Every relationship in our life will do that. In some cases, they'll hit it multiple times. But usually what happens in the world of romance in our world, what happens when we hit doubt and disappointment? We get out of it and we go back up top. Why? Because we like meeting and infatuation and even sort of the honeymoon. We like that phase, so every time we hit doubt, we get back out, we go back up. So we have this cycle in our world. We have people who get in a relationship, get out, they hit doubt and disappointment, they get married... They hit about year four, warm fuzzies wear off, they face major doubt and disappointment. The peak of divorce is four, seven, and 25. Four years, then if they, if they stay married, they have a kid. Seven years come, they don't have a second kid, they get divorced. What happens after about 25 years? Empty nesters, kids leave the home. And by one of the top three things I dealt with as a college pastor in 22 years is the amount of you that deal with that. I thought my parents were going to be married forever. They've been married for 30 years and they told me they're getting divorced. What happened? And I always say it didn't just happen. It happened a long time ago. They checked out a long time ago and they just put up with it for a number of years. Doubt and disappointment hit this place. So hopefully we move into resolution and figure out what that resolution and we hit into a place of real joy and real hope in our relationship. And so we wanted to be able to talk about that. But Sherry's got a couple other things. Well, I just want to say with the doubt and disappointment, what happens is what do you do when you get to that place? Because... You all know. I saw you all nodding. You all know you get there, but what do you do? And and I think what we would say is you really need to surround yourself with people that are wise, people you really trust. And people aren't just going to tell you what you want to hear because you know how to pick out those people, not just those people, people who you really think know you well and can be a voice into your situation. And you need to ask yourself, is this a deal breaker? Because some of these things are valid deal breakers. You know what? I can't stand her family. I absolutely can't stand them. That could be a deal breaker for you. You know, there's things that are valid deal breakers, and you don't have to apologize for that. It's just like, it's just not going to work. There's other things that you decide, okay, you know, maybe I'm disappointed in this, but I want to work through it. This is something that we can work through, or this is something that is just kind of something quirky. Discover some human characteristic about them, some kind of quirky thing, and you go, Hmm, can, is this something I can live with? So those are the questions you're asking. Is it a deal breaker? Is it something we can work through? Or is it just something that I need to accept mm-hmm. and bear with? One of the things that's very important is we, since we talked about sex the last two weeks, and we're going to tell, deal with a lot of questions here in a few minutes, is that here's the deal, is that when you're young in a relationship, we talked about the fact that sex has a lot of power and can take over a relationship. One of the things that will happen, especially in a young relationship, it doesn't happen as much... When you get a little bit older, um, because things change and your your biology literally change, but but the warm it's just different. But when you're young, the reason why sex can take over is what happens is when you're in this meeting, infatuation, honeymoon stage of a dating relationship, and then you get to this place where you get a wow, this big disappointment moment, this real doubt and disappointment moment. What often happens is you go to the well of sexual intimacy. You drink from the well of sexual intimacy. Why? Because that feels good. It's momentary pleasure. It's a momentary sense of connectionness in the midst of a doubt and disappointment. And it kind of can get you through the night, so to speak. And you wake up the next day and you still haven't resolved the issue in your relationship. It's one of the reasons why you, you, I believe God says wait and hold back is because it's so powerful. But it also becomes, a, a, in essence, a band-aid over the realities. But when you work through your doubt and disappointment in the ways that we now deal with it all the time in our life in a relationship with kids and stuff... We work through it, we get to this place in joy and hope. And when we get to joy and hope, what happens is the reason why we have that is because 
we've worked through something. And we haven't masked it with something like sex. Because sex was never meant to be that kind of a thing in a relationship. It's meant to be the fruit of a relationship. And then you feel like your relationship has some stability and some staying power because you've weathered a storm together. And that's a bonding experience. You go, we did this once. We could do it the next time. I'm not going to feel shaken if we have a a period of doubt and disappointment because I know that we have um, the ability to work through it. So... Right? Yeah. Okay. But in my mind, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, there's a difference. Why are you between, looking at me like Because I'm just thinking there's a difference between having sex to solve a problem and having makeup sex after you've solved the problem. But. <laughs> can we delete that? I seriously that from cannot the tape? take him anywhere. I just. <laughs> I just. Because I was worried the guys were out there going, God, this guy doesn't ever have sex anymore or something like that. It's like, no, there's still a part of the cycle that's. Okay, anyway, the next, the next point is yours. Okay. <laughs> Before I get into the question. Moving along. Okay, we're supposed to have been doing this quicker. Okay. Okay. So I, I want you to take this one down and we're going to put up our next. Um, I, last week I talked to you about we, us being students here at the inn. And I, I recall one time having lunch with a group of my friends. And we were sitting down with a mentor of ours and we're all kind of whining about our relationships and our dating relationship and what was going wrong in them. And I remember her pulling out this paper and she's writing all this stuff down. And I looked down and this is what it said. It said, it says, she said, you know what? When we're dealing with relationships, we're basically dealing with three issues. We're dealing with expectations as they relate to the amount of time you spend together, the depth of our communication and our physical intimacy. And those of you that have been involved with DTR talks, they almost always have to do with expectations dealing with one or two or three of those things. Almost always. And um, those things are the things that speak commitment to us. And so let's think of it on a continuum. On one side you have the person that you see in your class. Maybe it's, maybe it's Psych 210, I don't know. It's a person you see in your class and you think, wow, they're, you know, you're, you're kind of attracted to them. But you don't really, you know, that's the only time you speak with them. It's just pleasantries. You, the only time you spend with them is the time in class. And the only physical contact you have is basically body language. That's it. On the other spectrum, you have Mike and I, who've been married. We sleep together every night. We, um, we... <laughs> Oh, I am foolish. Okay. And we, you know, we share pretty intimately our dreams and aspirations. And I write you poetry. And we live together. Yes, and you write me poetry. What is wrong with you? (laughs) And, uh, okay, so it's this in-between the time. What do we do with this in-between the time? The goal really is to have these three, three things in balance as our relationship progresses. And typically, that is just not what I see happen very much of the time. What we see happen a lot of the time is one of these things gets hugely out of balance with the other one. And I don't know what it is for you if you're in a relationship. For each one of us, it can be something different. A common one is I meet someone, I'm infatuated, and I'm excited, and now... You are my life when I spend every waking hour with you. And then I've noticed with the whole texting thing, you even spend all your time really together. You can pretty much live together over text and have no time at all to yourself because you're with that person 24 hours a day. So time together, it gets to be a huge thing. And to me, that's going, oh, I feel committed to this person because we spend all our time together. And he's going, wait a minute, I didn't commit to you. I didn't make any promise to you. I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling that way. But because time, to me, says we're committed, you know, it's, it's perceived commitment. Not real commitment, but perceived because I've let this whole area get out of whack. For others of you, it might be your depth of communication. Maybe you don't spend a ton of time together, but the time you spend together is intense. Verbally vomit. You meet someone, you're up till 7 in the morning telling them everything you've ever felt or done or dreamed ever in your whole entire life. And the next morning you go... Man, that was such a bonding experience. It's a Christian one night stand. Yeah. (laughs) 
But instead of instead of the gal sitting around the next day going, I wonder if he'll call me. He's sitting around going, I wonder if she'll call me. I shared all my thoughts and my heart. I've never shared that with anybody. Yeah. So. Yeah. So and then. <laughs> All right. And all of us who've lived in the college arena knows that the, t- the, the problem that often happens is you meet someone, you get involved physically way too fast. And that also speaks commitment, particularly to women. I don't want to totally stereotype, but you know what? I feel really connected to you because we just shared something that was pretty intimate. Wait, I didn't, I didn't intend for that to happen at all. So this really can change the way you date if you think about keeping these things in balance in a way that's appropriate to the amount of commitment that's in the relationship. You want to be intentional about it. You don't want to just kind of fall into something you didn't mean to be in because you just got really careless with one of these three things. Questions? Ryan, ready? We're ready. When are you going to cut us off, Ryan? Time-wise. Uh, what I feel like. Okay, great. <laughs> Is there such a thing as kinky or wrong, such as wearing a costume for sex within marriage? Just starting off with the light stuff here, Mike. I'm wearing a costume. You know, you like a cop or a nurse or something. Well, you know, Ryan... Oh, what did he say? What is it? I don't know what you said. But I do know that Ryan Church, before he came on Sabbath U Men, used to work for the Mariner, so I heard he has a Mariner Moose suit at home. So I don't know. <laughs> what can I say? She likes the antlers. <laughs> I don't know. Sherry? You know, I've guys, got... we're, guys are perverted. We'll be like, nah! Fine. I, I think all, if costumes are your thing, then you go for it. Okay. Yeah, that's our answer. So, you know, whatever, you know. Should you date a non-Christian? Uh, I guess, this. here's the deal. I, I think Mike and I agree that there's nothing wrong if you want to go on a date with someone who's not a Christian, you know, that's fine. But I think the warning that I want to give you is that no person that I know that has, is really serious about their faith plans to fall in, in love with someone who doesn't share that faith. It happens because one date turns into two and turn, two turns into four and four dates turn into four months or four years and the next thing you know it, you're standing at the altar with someone who doesn't even know a huge part of you. So that's, that's, that's what you have to be stage, aware of. At our stage, you're waking up on Sunday morning going to church by yourself. Yeah. Or if you're going at all. One of you with the kids, whoever that, it's We live to. this all the time. This is our world. This is the age we are. So we see it all the time. We see it in our families. We've seen it a lot, so, you know, early on we used to not be as strong, but it's like, well, you want to do it, you know, date, but keep in mind that the decisions that you're making in your dating life, mm-hmm. you know. And there's a, a real limit to, to how, how much you can really be intimate with someone who doesn't really understand that part of you at all. So you won't really be able to share something that's pretty huge. Mm-hmm. So I just think you, if you're going to do this, you really need to go in with your eyes wide open, have no grand illusions, because it's a tough, tough road. Yeah. There's no question the number one thing that Sherry does for me in my life, and I believe that I do for her in her life, is shape her and help her to become in the image of Christ in her in my life. I believe God has used each other as the number one tool. And that's what I would hope for our marriage. I believe that is what Scripture teaches as well that we ought to have in our marriages, that we ought to be going in the same direction with this in our life. So be careful, you know. Be careful. That's a good one for you, hen. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Hey, what, 98% of all men masturbate, the other two are lying. 
All right. Hey, is masturbation a sin? Is masturbation uh, is masturbation when married simple? Here's here's my take on it, because obviously, you know, I have certainly dealt and interacted with this so much over the years with folks and, and, and whatnot. So here it is. There's no place in the scriptures that the Bible would ever say it's sin. Okay, so the actual physical aspect of masturbation not mentioned in scriptures, it's really hard for me to ever proclaim or say something as a sin. It actually does say in the Bible to not be married to somebody who's not a believer. Okay, that's actually in the scriptures. It says don't be what they call unequally yoked. Uh, but I don't like to just throw out that, that as a verse and say, therefore, it's because it's, Paul's getting at something. But when it comes to masturbation, nothing. Okay? There's nothing in Scripture about it. So it would be really hard to stand up and say it's a sin. Um, if you got the sheet we handed out on the table last week, you can look at various descriptions of things that are described as sin that, uh, that God, things that God calls sexual sin in the Scriptures. I would take you, encourage you to take a look at masturbation is not one of them. Okay? So th- that's the first thing I'd say about this. But here's the thing that you need to hear about masturbation, especially you guys. Okay? God gave us a wonderful sex drive. Okay, it's a gift from God. It is a gift from God. I know you curse it sometimes and, and wish God would take it away. But it's a gift from God. It's a wonderful thing that God has given you in order to move you into intimacy with another person. Okay? However, as you heard me to us talk about last week, we believe that that is to be reserved for the marriage commitment. Okay? So I believe that what happens when you masturbate is that at the end of the day, you actually end up robbing your own physical, your own biological reality of the very gift that God gave you to move you into intimacy. Okay, are you tracking me on that? So in marriage, here's the deal. In marriage, you say, is is masturbation sinful? Well, again, I would say, no, I mean... Define sin, you know, it's like, is it, would it be sinful? No, it's not sinful. But if it robs me, okay, if it, or I should say, if it robs Sherry of me pursuing her, it, it, Pat, my pastor, when I got, when we were getting married, this, I don't know if I said this one last week. Did I say that thing about 10 o'clock last week? I don't think so. Okay. Okay. <laughs> pastor said to us, he said, Mike, you start making love to your wife and you wake up in the morning. I was like, I can do mornings. So, okay. That was just exciting. Yeah. I, you start making love to your wife and you wake up in the morning. And I thought that was great. And, and then he went on to explain this. He said, no, no, Mike. you got to understand something about women. Okay? Okay? Women are like conventional ovens. Men are like microwaves. Right? All right? That's fairly true. And I think that's true. That's a, that's a gender stereotype that I would kind of stick to to some degree. And, and uh, he, said, he said, the way you treat your wife at 10 a.m., will determine how she treats you at 10 p.m. See? So God gave you, us guys, for the most part, this, this biological sexual urge, okay, to, to, to move us towards relationship with women, okay? But if we, if we take care of our business, so to speak, in the dark by ourselves, with some images on a screen or in our own minds, okay? <laughs> That'd then, be the one, I'm sure. That would be it, yeah. <laughs> if we if we if we if we if we do that, then then we in essence rob part of the way in which God created us and meant for us to enter into relationship with another person. So keep that in mind. That that's part of what's going. That's a whole other reason why you don't just get together with somebody and have sex with them. Because what you do is you rob yourself of the very biological um, drive that God gave you to move into all the other forms of intimacy. When you when you focus on the physical intimacy, that's so that's that's why I believe masturbation. You should masturbate. I mean, that's the reason why. Is that because you shouldn't take away the natural ability God gave you to move into relationship with other people. So. Doesn't mean, therefore, get into that relationship and then satisfy your urge. Are you following me on this? Yeah, okay, great. Question. Okay, let's go to one that, as we've been synthesizing these, is one of the more popular questions here. Okay. This is one way to ask it. When in a Christian relationship but not married, do you be physical? As that's an important part. Of a relationship without... The other way to ask that question is... <laughs> How far is too far? <laughs> you like, you want to get us to give you a base? Like, third base? Or... <laughs> okay, we knew this question would come up, didn't we? I think um, Mike and I are a little hesitant to 
to give you a firm line in the sand because I think for people this can be a little bit different. But I think we, we need to agree that sex is sex. Oral sex is sex, okay? Sex is sex, which is sex. So let's not, let's, let's agree with that, okay? Because I think there's people that really want to argue terms, you know? And I think that, you know, there's not that loophole. Yes, last week we talked about looking all through Scripture for loopholes when we were trying to get out of uh, being, out, being obedient well, in this way. But. Well, I think the thing is, is if there's, if there's orgasm involved in, in the relationship, then you're having sex. I mean, come on. That's, that's, a, that's an extreme form of intimacy. I don't care if it's vaginal, anal, or oral, or just mutual masturbation. If you are orgasming, you are hitting a level of intimacy with somebody that you got to ask, stop and say, really? Is that what God intended and is that what I really want for the relationship? Right. So right. We, we laid, there's, there's a line in the sand. Right. Yep, that is a line in the sand. And I think, you know, one thing that Mike and I have talked about, and I don't know how we've tried to communicate this here in the last two weeks, how much God really cares about our heart. And I think sometimes we get really concerned about the legalistic, what can I do, what can I, when I can, can I not do, we miss the whole point. Mm-hmm. And, and the point that we've been trying to, to um, convey to you is that there's so much that can be cultivated in your relationship and that sex is so powerful it takes center stage when we allow it to do that. So I think that... Um, thinking not what can I get away with, and I think that's kind of where we were, what can we get away with, instead of saying what can we be doing in our relationship that's even better than that. Yeah, yeah. Does that sound sound too idealistic? Maybe that sounds too idealistic. Maybe we need to do more. No, the only other thing that I would maybe add to that is that if you're in a relationship with somebody, you need to be able to make sure you're talking about it. So that there's a dialogue about this. So mm-hmm. what, what, what do you feel like is safe? We, mm-hmm. I remember two couples I was, I was counseling and meeting with at the same time. And one couple had been sexually active in, in separate relationships, came together in a relationship, got way too physical, way too quick, made a decision not to be physically involved. For six months, they didn't do anything more than I think kiss. They, they made a commitment to never be alone is the commitment they made. Um, matter of fact, Sherry and I made that commitment as well in part of our day. Because the reality is, is you don't just go, we're not going to have sex anymore. You have to set boundaries. One of them is, we can't be alone in the house together, period. You know, So you go to Denny's or wherever. You know, you go hang out in other places. Not so, a lot of sex going on at Denny's. Yeah, well, I, as far as we know. So um, we didn't figure that one out. So anyway, but... Um, and this other... So there's this one couple who was... Who, they weren't doing anything. And then one night, they got cu- they were in their same apartment. Nobody else was there. And like, kind of wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. It happens. They went all the way together. Another couple I was meeting with net, had, a, had a commitment that they would, they, would, they, would never take, uh, they would never do anything below the waist, but they would lay around with their shirts off with each other and kiss and cuddle. And they did it all the time. And I always stopped and thought, who do I have more problems with? <laughs> the couple that kind of flipped out one night and went for it after six months, or the couple that, eh, a few nights a week, they just kind of lay around with their shirts off with each other. <laughs> and I, you know, and it was like, for me, it was obvious. It was the couple that had spent six months working on all the other good stuff. They just kind of got carried away like any couple in love might. This other couple was like, they spent a bunch of time just laying around with their shirts off. <laughs> So, all right, next question. Well, no, I, you know, can we say can we say just a couple more things about this? Because I think this is really important. Because we've talked, to, we've been really honest with you about our own journey and having this really be something we've dealt with, and and making the decision to wait till we were married after being sexually active for a couple of years. And and how far is too far? I think Mike really brought up a good point at that you have to invite other people into the process, and that's a really really hard thing to do. Saying, you know what, this is a decision we made. And I need you to help us stick to this because this is really important. It's your roommates that need to know and your small group need to know. And you need to have other people asking you about how you're doing and how they can support you in that. And um, the other thing I think you brought up was so, so important is, is how often we don't talk about it. And especially as Christians, we don't talk about it because if we talk about it, then it almost seems like we are intentionally messing up. You know what I'm saying? So, like, when we decided to have sex, there was no talk about it. It just, like, happened. It's supposed to be, like, romantic in the movie. In the movies, nobody says, oh, really, should we be doing this? Are we really ready for this? It just happens, and that's how it should be, we think. 
But that's really not how it should happen because if we are doing something like that, we should never be doing anything we can't even talk about doing. Never. We should never be doing anything sexually that we can't even talk to that person about. That shows we're not even close to being ready to be at that point. So I think that's a really good point that you brought that up. That's right. As one grandfather likes to say, if the son don't touch it, son, don't touch it. (laughs) Help us understand. Help us understand Ephesians 5 in this question. Do wives have to submit to their husbands? What is the woman's role in marriage? Thank you. I'm glad somebody asked the question because I can do a whole talk on the subject. Um, I don't, how I summarize this, I have no idea. But, um, sure, you're at, you're, is, am I just supposed to go after this one? I think you should. Okay. I, there's, there's a lot of difference of opinions and how this is read and understood within Christian church. I've done a ton of study on it, uh, in-depthly and thorough to try to figure this out. Ephesians chapter 5. We do have the passage of Scripture, by the way, because I did ask them to uh, put that. I don't know if you guys can put that up there or not. It's very, very important for everybody in this room to understand something. When Ephesians chapter 5 was written, let me read you the words that are these famous words. It says, it says this. Wives will submit to their husbands as to the Lord, for husbands the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. He gave his life to be your savior as the church submits to Christ. So wives must submit to their husbands and everything. And you husbands must love your wives as, with the same love that Christ showed the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by baptism in God's word. Okay? Let me just say, say, say something to you. That, um, when this passage was written by the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago to the church in Ephesus, you need to understand something. The men got mad and the women rejoiced. When it's read in the church today, men rejoice and the women get mad. Because there is a cultural difference, major cultural difference going on. In the day when this was written, women were always expected to submit to the husband. It was no other question. Matter of fact, they were often property. They could be divorced for almost any reason. Women were property, much like cattle might be. And so there was not much respect for the wife, the women, in the culture. Okay, so when women heard, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, the women were going, finally, we have some respect. Finally, somebody is standing up for The point in Ephesians 5 is not the women. Matter of fact, what's interesting is verse 21 of chapter 5, which says this. Before it says wives submit, it says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the opening line. And then he talks about husbands and wives. He talks about children and parents. And he talks about slaves and masters. So before he talks about those three sets of relationships, he says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Matter of fact, in the Greek, it does not say wives submit to your husbands. It says wives likewise to your husbands. In other words, he's saying, ditto. Women, you already know what your job is. I want to get to the men for a minute here. Matter of fact, what he says before that, though, is he says, as unto the Lord. In other words, not as unto the man, as unto the Lord. In other words, your Lord is Jesus, not the man. And if that man ain't submitted to Jesus, careful submitting to him. Because you might be treated poorly. Okay? But men... Love your wife. How? As Christ loved the church. What did he do? What did he do? He died. He laid down his life. Very important principle. Very. Understand this principle. But Mike, who makes the decision? We'll we'll get there. Okay. Good question. (laughs) Biblical leadership. Biblical leadership in the Bible is a very different leadership than the world. You do, Read your Bible, read the Gospels, read the New Testament, you will understand that the leadership of the world and the leadership of Jesus Christ is radically different. Two totally different leaderships. The leadership of the Bible is a leadership that is so strong, okay, that it has the ability to get under another person and lift them up and bring them life. That's what biblical leadership is. Jesus gets underneath us and lifts us up. Biblical headship is for me to get under my wife and to lift her, lift her up. Well, I, the phrase that we always use, it's my job to bring life to my wife. That's my job. Why? Because Jesus brought life to me. I've come that you might have life, Jesus said, and life abundant. 
For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have life. My job is to bring life to my wife by getting under her and lifting her up. Becoming all that she... Jesus Christ, here's the thing, Jesus Christ only made one decision for me. And that was the decision to die on the cross for my sins. From that point on, he leaves the decisions into my hands. Will you believe me, Mike? Will you trust me? Will you walk with me? Will you listen to me? Will you obey me? All those decisions are mine to make. Because he laid down his life, he gave me the ability to make those decisions. Okay? He gave me that decision. So interesting question you should ask, Sherry. In our family, who makes the decisions? If I'm bringing and getting underneath my wife and lifting her up, then I'm going to be able to trust the fact that she's going to make good and healthy decisions. And, and so we stop at this point. We say, I ask one question. Who has the gift of wisdom amongst the two of us? She does. Well, not in every area, but... In, in a lot many. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. And so in our relationship, usually, first of all, we, you don't conflict that much that you wouldn't, like, you work through it usually and you come up with whatever you might feel is, mm-hmm. is more clear as you discuss things. But if we actually came to a point, I would go with her. And the reason why is because she has the gift of wisdom. So I would go with her. That's not weak. That's, the, the matter of fact, that's not weak at all. My strength is that I have the strength to let her make the decision. You follow me in that? It's a different kind of strength. I think what's really, um, what's really been striking to us over the years is how much people want to make this a question about who rules the roost. Who gets, who's the big kahuna in the family. And this passage isn't about that at all. No. So. It's not about that at all. It's about, it's about giving life to people. Because ultimately, biblical submission is about getting under and bringing life to somebody. That's what biblical submission is about. So it's saying, I will forsake my right so that I can bring you life. That's what it means to do that. Does that answer your question, Ryan? Great, great stuff. Thank you. Uh, Guys are notorious for it, but it affects women too. Talk with us a little bit about porn. Sex is tough, but porn can be harder to get away from any advice. Um, You know, before I go to this question, I'm going to go back to the last one. Because I feel like I left one thing alone. I forgot one thing. Unless the question of roles is coming up. I, I want you to understand a very, I think a very important biblical principle. Acts chapter 2 dictates my view of scripture of genders. Men and women. Acts chapter 2 does. It's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down. People are speaking in tongues. And they're struggling. You know, the people are going, these guys are drunk. Peter gets up and he says, no, oh, they're not drunk. It's 9 in the morning. Peter obviously wasn't a college student because that's not a very good argument, okay? Um, but he says, look, it's nine in the morning. They're not drunk. He says, then he says this. He says, this is what the prophet Joel said. Peter stands up, and this is Peter This is Peter standing up and proclaiming in front of all these people on the day of Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit came, and he said, he said this is what the prophet Joel pr- uh, predicted, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will have vision. Even upon the slaves, even upon the lowest class, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. Here's the thing. That's my, that's my verse for, for the way in which I believe God views gender and God views socioeconomic class and he views race. And he says, old guys dream dreams. Old guys don't dream dreams. Old guys get stuck in ruts in their old farts. Okay? But they, he says, I'm going to radically change everything. And so here's what's going to be the determining factor in the New Testament church. You know what the determining factor is? The gifting of the Holy Spirit. How the Spirit gifts you. And I'm not even a Pentecostal. I go to a Presbyterian church for crying out loud. But I am a Pentecostal at heart. It is how the Spirit of God gifts you. So if the Spirit of God gifts the woman with certain gifts, then she is responsible to God to use those gifts. And I'm responsible to make sure she's using them. That's the real issue. Not me looking and going, you're a woman, you have a vagina, therefore you don't get to do certain things. That doesn't, that's Old Testament. I know that was graphic, but think about it that way. Because you have a vagina, you can't be in leadership? Okay, So we have to be careful. No, I would say because you have the Spirit of God, He will gift you as He gifts you. And what's important is for us to determine what those gifts are and to encourage those gifts to be used. So, agree with me or don't agree with me. The church is divided on that issue. 
but I stand up here as a biblical Christian and I can back everything up in Scripture. I can show it to you. I just did. Acts chapter 2. It's all based on Acts chapter 2. Okay? I can show you contradictions to every place where Paul tells a woman to be quiet in the church. In, in 1 Corinthians, he tells a woman to be silent in the church. In, 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 uh, in 1 Corinthians, he also tells a woman that he has to have her head covered when she speaks in church. So what's Paul saying? you got to study it. you got to study all passages to understand what's going on. Acts chapter 2 will tell you it's the Spirit of God that leads us in our giftedness. Awesome. We're porn gonna, is hard. Yeah, we're going to do porn and then one other question. Okay. Sherry, <laughs> how have you dealt with this and got through this in your life? <laughs> well, I, I think a lot of it goes back to what we said about how far is too far? Problems of sexuality are so difficult to deal with on your own, and it's so much the tendency to want to do that, to try to keep yeah. everything in the dark. And it has so much power when it's in the dark. It's only in the light where things can really be um, made whole and, and healing can occur. So the first thing I would say is that you really, really need to talk to somebody. There's so many people that have had this issue. There's so many resources available to you. And if you don't know what they are, text, send a text right now. And you men can give you resources that will really help you um, with this and, and get you in touch with small groups or counselors. There's just so much that's available. You know, I think the thing, there's so many different things that come to my mind. There's the practical reality. If you're looking at porn on a computer, get a computer out of your room. Get it out of your life. Get it away from you. If that's part of your issue, please do that. Just be practical. Be, be, be realistic. Get it away. If you live in a house, I know this is probably a tough thing, but if you live in a house where guys are sitting downstairs in the basement watching porn all the time, then just commit to never going down to that basement or going into that room or or whatever. You've got to get the things out of your life that are there. You will never, guys, face it. You will never be strong enough to deal with it if it's in your face all the time. And I know that, that this has often been described as a, as a guy problem, but I know what is going on in the female culture today around this. It is on an ever-increasing... Matter of fact, 10 years ago, I noticed we noticed this. And so I know you gals are dealing with it as well. And you just got to be practical. Get the stuff out of your life that's right there. You know, it, if it's there, then remove the, the, the things. It doesn't mean you won't still be tempted or find ways in which to get it, but it certainly adds and, and helps it out. Somebody in your life, get rid of the stuff that's causing it to struggle right, right away uh, as well. Um, I think for, for me, the thing that... You know, whether it's porn or just kind of visual you know, lust imagery, um, th there's a couple things for me that I think have, 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 have been really helpful. And one is, is, is again, there's one thing about getting rid of the stuff that causes you to stumble. It's another thing to begin to have your mind renewed. Paul in Romans chapter 12 talks about the renewing of our minds. And do we, are we making a conscious effort to have our minds renewed where we look at women and we truly see them as daughters of God, as children of God? Uh, do we look at guys and we see them as, as men of God as opposed to as objects for my satisfaction and my desires and my wishes and my wants? Are we transforming the way in which we actually see people? That's, that's, it's got to get to that kind of a core that we see people the way God sees people. And that's a tough thing to do. And when I look at you right now, there's a part of me that goes, ah, you know, it's, that's such a hard thing to look at you like, come on, give me a break. But now I look at myself at 44 and I go, no, no, stick with it. It actually works. It actually begins to, a transformation really does begin to occur where you see people. And what's really interesting has happened for me is women have become more beautiful. In other words, what I mean by that is, you know, like, I think when I was 20, my vision of beauty was really small. What was a beautiful woman had to look a certain way. And what's really interesting now to me, I just there's this view that all women are beautiful because they're all children of God. It's changed the way in which I see uh, women in general. And so I really encourage you to kind of look at the core of it. Do you see them as objects or as children of God? Last one, Ryan. Uh, can I All just right. say one last thing about this one? And, and that mm -hmm. is, I think it's important to say that there's no, there's no sin that's too big for God to forgive. And I think that sometimes with these kinds of things like pornography or uh, 
preoccupation with sex or sexual addiction, it's so easy to feel like God could never forgive me for that. And I think it's really important for you to know that we have a huge God that's capable of forgiving anything, and we know that from experience. Yeah, we do. And that's a good, great last question. If I fold around, how do I confess and get rid of my guilt, and how do I find a good Christian partner that is okay, same with my past, I suppose? Yeah. You know, I think the thing, thing, and it came up in my mind when we were looking at the pornography question earlier, too, is that um, I think, I actually don't think that sexual sin, um, certainly, you know, so to speak, lying, cheating, stealing is the best thing that the devil has going for him. Those are, those are, things that, you know, we want to, we don't want to lie and cheat and steal and be sexually immoral, of course, but I don't think that's the best thing the devil has going for him. The best thing the devil has going for him is guilt and shame. What the devil ultimately wants to have happen in our lives is that we would feel ashamed and so guilty that we would never lift our eyes up and that we would walk around heavy and burdened because of our guilt and it would weigh us down, and we would be ashamed. Like Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, they went and covered themselves up with some of the fig leaves that they tried to make, and they hid behind trees, and they got away from God. That's what the devil would want us all to do. So when we sin and we fall short of the glory of God, remember that all do. You do and I do. Ryan Church does. Your pastor at your church does. They all fall sin and fall, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody does. So don't add to that by letting the devil get you down more by then you living in guilt. Matter of fact, I think that guilt and shame is really pride. It's pride because you think that you shouldn't have screwed up. You should have been capable of doing you it. You should on have your been own. capable of doing it on your own. And you've missed the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is about the fact that you can't. Mm-hmm. You can't and nobody can't. You can't be self-righteous. You can't justify and make things right between you and God. Only Jesus Christ's death on a cross could do that. You sin. You fall short. I do as well. And that's why we have the, the ability to come uh, on a daily basis to our God with full confidence, the writer of Hebrews says. We can come with full confidence knowing that we have a high priest who loves us who gave his life for us because he knows what it's like to be in our shoes. So you need to accept the forgiveness each and every day of your life and realize that it's new. And don't let the devil get you down by adding to your sin guilt and shame. Be set free. Um, When you begin to learn and understand that kind of freedom, you begin to not make the mistakes as much anymore in your life. So we encourage you with that. The last question can just be left for you guys to realize that be patient. What the, how yeah. to find a good Christian yeah. partner that's okay with my past? I think um, transformation is an extremely attractive trait to people. I think when someone sees transformation in your life, that's very attractive. So that will attract someone to you, just having that witness of transformation in your life. It, it will. It will attract someone to you. And you want someone who reminds you constantly that you're forgiven. You don't want someone that's going to constantly put your sin back in your face and say, but look what you did, but look what you did, but look what you did. So if you're in a relationship where someone's continually bringing something from your past and bringing it in front of you again, that's not a person you want to be with. You want to be with someone who reminds you all the time that God, as far as from the east from the west, God has removed that sin from you. Hey, thanks for uh, letting us spend some time with you these last few weeks. It's been uh, an added joy to our life uh, as I travel around the country and, and, and uh, help people think about doing this. I've really missed the chance to be here. And, and given Sherry and I a good chance to re-talk about sex uh, in our relationship, we have teenagers, so it's not often that we get to talk about stuff like this. So it's been good for us as well. And so we're grateful for the time to be here. And uh, we want to pray for you uh, right now. Uh, and we also want to let you know that, hey, it's, it's got late. We went a little bit later tonight. I can tell us that we're all getting a little uncomfortable. Even I am. I'm starting to hit the point where I'm wobbly. But I want you to know there's uh, some people back in the back. If you want prayer, 
We encourage you to go back there and to be prayed for. Uh, to answer that last question, uh, probably the best way to deal with any guilt, frustrations that you might have is to confess it. I wish I always jokingly say I wish I had five bucks for every time I had a college student walk into my life and say I've never told anybody this before because I would be rich, you know. Um, but you know what? There's a safe place for you to say I've never told anybody this before. I did something or something was done to me um, that needs to get out in the open and get the light shined on it so the forgiveness of Christ can be placed upon that. You can be set free, all right? So I encourage you with that. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you that uh, these students would take the time to come on out on a Tuesday night when they could be doing lots of other things. We thank you that they came out to try to hear and learn a little bit more about your heart and what's important to you. Uh, Lord, and I would pray that you would take the thoughts that Sherry and I have shared and those that are of your heart, I pray that you would impress upon them that they would remember and the things that weren't important tonight that they would forget. But Lord, I also pray that you would bless them as students, that they would be able to be great students and be able to be faithful to what you, the gifts that you have given them there. I pray that they would be able to engage in their roommate, with their roommates and their friends and their classmates and that they would have meaningful and healthy relationships where they could learn what it means to love uh, one another um, in all contexts and all relationships that they have been given. And I do pray that, Lord, you would bless this community, that your face would shine upon this community and that you would be gracious to this community and that it would be a place in which your true uh, light and love would be discovered to your glory and not our own. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.